0: You can find this podcast and others at Gun Rights Radio Network, gunrightsradio.com, podcasting freedom. Welcome to episode thirty-nine of Shooting the Breeze, the formal po- gun podcast of waltnpa.com. I'm Walt White, and this episode's a little bit late. Uh, I'm recording it on the day that I generally publish it, and it has a discussion topic that is sort of off-topic. Uh, it has a it has the potential to get kind of long. I haven't recorded it yet. I tend to do these podcasts in order, so this is really the beginning of the podcast, and I'll be stepping through this this whole podcast. Sort of in order, and when I get to the discussion portion, um, I have a topic that that doesn't directly involve guns. Um, th- there's a there was a gun involved indirectly, and it, it's. I kind of want to pose the question, pose a question about the scenario, and, and kind of get an answer from you. So, uh, bear with me as I get through that very, that, that potentially very long segment, and uh, and sort of discuss why this podcast is late. Uh, outside of that, I have three pieces of news. Uh, there's kind of a twofer on the first piece. I have two separate news articles on the same situation, and then two separate articles. So, really, I have four news articles to read you revolving around three different stories. I've got three pieces of featured content, a cigar and drink pairing, and, you know, that that's sort of going to make the podcast. But before I before I get rolling into the news, I want to remind you of the contest to win a signed copy of Shoot, Your Guide to Shooting and Competition by Julie Golub. Uh, if you head over to waltnpa.com, look for the post, the May contest announcement. Click on that announcement and... Read all the particulars. It's really simple to get your entry in. Uh, once you do that, uh, I'll randomly select a winner at the end of the month, and you'll get yourself a signed copy of Shoot Your Guide to Shooting Competition by Julie Golub. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to talk about before I got into the news was something that I completely forgot about last week, which is, which is really surprising because of how excited I was. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from luckygunner.com, they're uh, an ammunition uh, bulk sales retail thing or retail um, e-commerce business. And you go on their website, you you buy ammunition generally in bulk and you have it ma- mail-ordered to your house. And they contacted me and asked me if I'd be interested in reviewing some of their stuff. And, you know, I was happy to do so. I told them, yes, um, you know, here are the calibers that I shoot. Uh, you know, send me whatever you like and, you know, I'll, I'll be sure to do a review right up and all that stuff. And they sent me some Magtech 380 ACP self-defense ammo uh, for for my pocket pistol and it's a it's a solid copper hollow point and I'm gonna be doing that review I'm not quite sure when hopefully sooner than later uh, next weekend I was supposed to go to the range but you know things got kind of jumbled with some stuff from this weekend so I'm not quite sure when I'm going to get the review in there but either way I would kinda of like your opinion on how I should how I should do this review, um, I'm really limited as to what I can shoot. It's not like I can set up ballistics gelatin or water or uh, water jugs and and do penetration tests and things like that. I'm limited to paper only at all of the ranges that I'm a member of. And you know, what do you want to see? Uh, do you just want to see how this stuff groups, how it functions in the gun, you know, how it cycles, things like that? I, I can, I can bring video cameras to the range. I can do uh, the the picture-in-picture video like I do for USPSA, so I can give you a view uh, looking down the gun from my perspective, a first-person perspective. I can set a camera up off to the side so that you can see the round cycling. Um, I have a lower quality flip cam that I replaced with the newer HD model. That I could probably set up on the other side. So, I mean, you can get all kinds of funky a- angles. I don't know that I can put them all into the same video space in iMovie. But I can give you a view of how these, these rounds are ejecting from the gun. And how the gun is handling. And, and include that in the review if you'd like to see something like that. So, let me know what you would like to see. Uh, you know, for the review of this ammunition. And just keep in mind that I'm, I'm limited to only shooting paper at my my the ranges that I'm a member of. So, with that said, let's get rolling into the news. All right, the first item in the news discussion this week uh, is actually a twofer. I have two separate news articles revolving around the same issue. Um, And both of these news articles were sent to me from Greg on Facebook. And it comes out of ABC 57 News and... Uh, it's it's entitled, Marine Veteran Files Request for Special Prosecutor. This is the first of the two articles that I read. And it goes on to say, uh, He tried to take a gun in the St. Joseph's County polling place, but got turned away. He wasn't allowed to vote in the Indiana primary unless he left his gun locked up in the car. Now this Marine Veteran is fighting back. The right to vote and the right to keep and bear arms are not mutually exclusive. The Marine Veteran filed a request for a special prosecutor. Clay Edinger... Wants officials to take a closer look at what happened on election day to see if any laws were broken. We first brought you this this story on Tuesday. On Friday, Edinger filed the paperwork and told us he's taking this very seriously. So seriously, he hired a a lawyer out of Indianapolis who specializes in gun-related litigation to take on this fight. There's also some video associated with this. If you would like to, to view that, head over to the show notes. And um, I'm not quite sure if I can embed it, but either way, there will be a link there to the video if, if I can't embed it. The other news article that directly involves this or di- directly focuses on this issue is entitled, Same Source, ABC 57 News. It is entitled, Marine Veteran Openly Carrying Handgun Turned Away from Polling Location. It goes on to say, St. Joseph's County, Indiana. All he wanted to do was vote, according to Clay Edinger, but not as much as he wanted to carry his gun into the voting booth with him. When Edinger Eng- when Edding- walked into the Warren Township Fire Department voting precinct, he was wearing his pistol on his hip. Edinger is, is a Marine veteran who resigned his commission in order to-, to be commissioned in the Navy Chaplain Corps. He said he carries his weapon with him everywhere he can. Toting a copy of Indiana Code... a state statute that deals with weapons and and the restrictions upon them, Enger insisted he should be allowed to wear his gun while voting. When election workers questioned him when he walked in the door, another went and informed the assistant fire chief, Tony Vovanderberg, of the situation. Concerned that Enger was armed Vovanderberg I should probably watch the video and see how they pronounce that. But anyway, who also works as a police officer and a fireman at the South Bend Regional Airport, asked him to step outside. Edinger asked Vanuverber to clarify why he was not being allowed into the polling location. Mr. V told him that he was not allowed to have a gun inside and offered to have uniformed officers come talk to him if he preferred. Edinger said that 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 would be fine, and he waited outside the building until officers with the St. Joseph County Sheriff Department arrived. The officers then began searching through the Indiana Code looking for a statute that would prohibit Edinger from bringing the gun into the building. If they had been on school grounds or a courthouse, the issue would be cut and dry. State statutes clarify or clearly indicate that such locations are off-limits to guns. But the officials could not find a statute that clearly outlined the situation they found themselves in. After about an hour and a half, the officers, who had asked for assistance from the election board, were provided a statute, three five dash four seven dash two dash one, and relayed it to Edinger, telling him that it kept him from being able to bring the gun inside. Edinger was skeptical, however, and opted to return home to look up the statute instead, instead of the solution of locking his gun in his car and voting first as Mr. V offered. After Edinger left, he went to the he went to do some research on of. We began to do some research of our own. We quickly we quickly found that IC35-47-2-1 dealt with the regulation of handguns, specifically the carrying of handguns without a license by a person convicted of domestic battery and the exceptions therein. There was no indication nor int- intimation intimate yeah, in- that Edinger had ever been convicted of domestic battery and that Edinger is licensed to carry a gun. It was clear the statute did not apply in this situation. We contacted the county clerk's officers the county clerk's office, elections department, and were connected with with the clerk himself. Terry Rethlake admitted to that they had passed on an incorrect statute, seemingly by mistake. She said that they had been provided the information by one of the general counsel uh, for the election board, Leslie Barnes. We contacted Barnes who told us that she had been given information by the Indiana State Police and provided us a number to reach them. We contacted the state police at the number provided but they but the individual was unable to help as his equipment was not allowing him to access the state statutes electronically. He transferred us to the Indiana the Indianapolis division of the state police where two officers spent the better part of an hour looking for a statute that would prohibit Edinger from bringing the gun inside. They even enlisted the help of an attorney who also could not locate such a statute in the same time frame and given the resources they had at the time. About 30 minutes before the polls closed, Edinger returned to the fire department and waited for a St. Joseph County officer to arrive. The officer spoke to Edinger and told him that that even he, the officer, could not wear his gun into the building to vote. The officer said he had been told this while working for the South Bend Police Department 4 years prior. He could not remember the state statute that he had been shown. Edinger calmly requested to record the verbal exchange and then left quietly without ever voting. Wearing the gun openly in public allows him to show society that not all bad people carry guns, according to Edinger. He hopes that when people see him in public and with his wife and kids, they view him as a normal person that just wants to keep his family safe. But there are some who think Edinger is just asking for trouble. Mr. V, who admits to understanding Edinger's legal right to bear arms and even openly carry, cannot come to grips for Clay's reason for refusing to simply take it off and go vote. It is his principles that kept him from giving up his gun, said Edinger. So there is your your issue. We've got a, a legally... Uh, licensed and carrying citizen who decided they were going to go open carry during the the uh the primaries in indiana and when he did so uh he was asked to come outside and you know reading over this article it sounds like the people involved in in voting did everything in their power to try to prevent him from doing so when they couldn't when they couldn't give him a statute initially, they start making phone calls asking for someone else to find a statute. When they couldn't find a the statute, they began looking for more people to help find a the statute. They did everything in their power to try to find a reason to not allow him in the building, and then it almost seems as though they fabricated one when they couldn't find one. And then this, this guy ends up leaving without voting. And you know there there's a special, a special prosecutor involved, and I think that that is absolutely wonderful. Um, this should go to court. A crime has been committed. Uh, he was, you know, he was denied his right to vote, and the 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 right to vote and and carry a gun. They don't cancel one another out. If there is no law that says that he can't be permitted, uh, that he cannot carry in that particular building, then let the man in. Let him vote. Let him do his thing. And stop trying to just. You know it's stop trying to stop trying to turn him away and batter his rights or beat his rights away it's uh, it's absurd and the more I think about this, the more than worked up that I'm getting you know here's this guy you know just normal everyday guy going about his business, only he chooses to carry his gun out in the open instead of hide his gun like I do. So good for him, hopefully everything works out and you know hopefully this special prosecutor makes everything right. Alright, the second piece of news that I have comes from the Associated Press. And it is entitled, Korean War Vet 84 Shoots Intruder Inside Home. This was published five days ago. And it goes on to say, Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. An 84-year-old Western Pennsylvania man kept... Wow. Okay. An 84-year-old Western Pennsylvania man and Korean War vet shot and wounded a home invasion suspect and then forgave the man's family when they came to apologize. Police said Raymond Hiles, 25, was captured Tuesday not long, a- long, not long after trying to break into Fred Ricuti's Elizabeth Township home about 15 miles south of Pittsburgh. My wife and I were asleep. We were staying downstairs because my wife is ill, Ricouti told the Associated Press on Wednesday. I'm saying Ricouti, it's actually spelled R-I-C-C-I-U-T-T-I. And I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. And I'm, I, I'm doing a really good job of butchering names this episode. But we're just going to keep calling him Ricouti, Ricouti, Ricciuti. Since, you know, I'm, I'm one, I'm, I'm, I've already butchered it. I might as well keep butchering it. Said he heard a noise at about 4.30 a.m. and could see someone coming in, into the room. He pulled a gun out of a drawer, yelled a warning at Hiles, and then fired once, hitting him in the neck. Ricciuti, who was born in Italy said he came to the U.S. in 1937 and later served in a tank battalion during the Korean War. In the war, I experienced a lot of bad things, but I had never experienced that in my own house, he said, of the invasion. Ricky Udy said the suspect lives across the street and he's never faced any hostility in the town. I know the family. They're good people, he said, adding that they came over in tears to apologize for what Hiles allegedly did. I forgave them, he said, adding that he couldn't hold them responsible for Hiles' actions. WPXI TV first reported the that the investigator said Hiles was arrested a few blocks away, carrying a screwdriver and a stun gun. He was being held on $100,000 bail on charges including criminal trespass and burglary. Online court records didn't list any attorney for Hiles. Authorities said they don't expect to to bring any charges against Riqueti. All right, so just to summarize really quick, uh, it, it sounds like both. Uh, Ricky and his wife were staying probably in their living room because his wife was ill at uh, four thirty in the morning he hears some banging some bumps in the night and you've got someone coming into the house It's got to be a scary situation for one because you've got someone breaking in uh two i would I would imagine that you know when you start getting up older in years you know you you've got to start feeling more concerned with your abilities i mean at 84 years old, you know he's, he's probably not nearly as mobile as he was 20 years ago, uh, and even 20 years prior to that. So, you know, those sort of thoughts have to be going through your mind, and and you've got this this burglar who's coming through your house, and you do what you what, you do what you've got to do to keep you safe, to keep your wife, who's you know probably sound asleep on the couch or on a chair next to you, you know you, you've got to keep these people safe. So you go to a drawer, you grab your gun. You yell, he keeps coming. You pull the trigger. Um, obviously, it wasn't a forty-five because you know he clipped him in the neck. Forty-five's the magic bullet; should have put him down. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not opening myself up for that debate. I just thought that would be an amusing little jibe to add in there. But uh, guy gets out, gets out of the house, runs away. He's later captured by police, and he's got a screwdriver, which he probably used to break into the house, and a stun gun. Um, you know, I don't. Stun guns can be pretty nasty You know, tasers and such I don't know what they would do to someone in their 80s If, you know, if you were breaking into a home And, you know, an 84-year-old Tried to defend himself uh, You know, hands-on kind of a way You know, without the aid of a firearm What would have happened had this kid tased him? I mean, would that electrical jolt have killed him? Or, you know, would would it have just subdued him? You know, that's just kind of a really scary situation you know considering the potential considering the victim in this case which is the older couple you know was that non-lethal weapon a lethal weapon in this case it's it's kind of curious so all in all it worked out the good guy gets away in the end forgives the family who i think was it was really good of them to come and apologize to him because like he said you know he can't hold them responsible for their for their son's actions but at the same time you know, I think it was very big of them to come and apologize for some stupid act that their their son or their child took part in. So all in all, I think this worked out in the end. You know, the the older couple was probably shaken up, but you know, they did okay. The the uh the older gentleman did just fine. Well, the last piece of news uh is is kind of I don't want to say like near and dear to me, but I, I feel I feel like I have like, a little bit of an attachment to it because I'm familiar with the business that this happened in. I'm not familiar with that particular store. However, I'm familiar with the company as a whole. Very familiar with them, in fact. And this comes from lehighvalleylive.com. I believe Nick sent me this news article and is entitled, Bethlehem Cigar Store Manager Held at Knife Point by Irate Customer, Police Say. A manager at Cigars International store on Main Street in Bethlehem had a knife held to his throat by an angry customer until the manager pulled out a handgun, chasing away the suspect, according to police. Matthew Bezora, BZURA37, told police that that the suspect became irate after he was carted for a tobacco purchase at about 8.55pm Thursday at the 535 Main Street store. Bezora confronted the suspect outside the store after the suspect knocked over an outdoor advertising sign, police say. The incident unfolded, Bezora said, when the suspect and his two friends were mouthing off inside the store after he asked to see identification. I explained politely that if you look look 29 or younger, we have to card you. It's the law, Bezora told the Express Times. Two of the three men purchased tobacco products, and when they went outside, continued to point inside and complain, Bezora said. When he heard a loud bang outside, the manager went out to investigate. The men had knocked down a large outdoor advertising sign, Bezora said, and he confronted them about it. That's when the suspect pulled out a knife and pressed it to Bezora's throat, according to authorities. I heard a click and I felt this cold metal against the right side of my throat, Bezora said. I have never been in a situation like that. Basically, my instincts kicked in. Bezora pulled out a legally concealed 40 caliber handgun and told the suspect he felt threatened police say. All three men ran east on Walnut Street. I was very glad I was able to keep my calm, Bazura said. I was seriously in danger for my life. It could have been horrible. This is the first time I've been drawn, that I've ever drawn my weapon in self-defense. Bazura credited the training he received from a good friend and former police officer to help him keep cool during the harrowing experience. I was taught to keep aware of the situation and what to do and what not to do, Bazura said. That's what training does. Nur- Nur- Ugh. Numerous police officers sped to the incident Thursday night, including some on horses who were stationed nearby for the season-opening Tunes at Twilight concert in the Sun Inn courtyard, courtyard off Main Street. The police secured the area that encompassed Main Street to New Street from Walnut to Broad Streets. Some officers were armed with rifles as the investigation unfolded and amid sizable crowds in the Center City neighborhood. Two men were apprehended outside of Roseanne's restaurant at 2 East Broad Street, but they were let go after questioning. Sirens could be heard sporadically blaring as police continued searching for the suspects. Police described the trio in detail. The man who pulled the knife on Bizarro was described as a black male, about 30 years old, with a light complexion, wearing a light-colored knit cap with ear flaps, with a Target logo, or Captain America shield on its front. He was also wearing a Captain America t-shirt, gray zip-up jacket, and blue jeans. Both friends were white, one between 20 and 30 years old, wearing a gray hooded jacket and a black New York Mets baseball cap, and another about the same age with dark hair, sideburns, a slightly receding hairline, wearing a black jacket with a white t-shirt, according to police. Police anyone, ask anyone with information to contact the department, and they list the phone number. So, why this is kind of... Uh, I don't know why I kind of relate here, is that I've, I've been a customer of Cigars International for quite a while. Um, I've, I've attended their major Cigar Fest events, I've been to numerous uh, superstore events. This sounds like the downtown store, I've never been there, I've, I've always been to the much, much larger superstore, it's kind of like a Walmart of cigars. Not quite as large, but the volume and selection is, is just is really impressive for the size of the building. And the size of the building is impressive. but. Uh, what I know about Cigars International is, I've talked to numerous of the manufacturers that go there, so uh, when, when a cigar manufacturer visits Cigars International for whatever reason, you know, they're doing an event, you know, they're doing some press stuff, whatever the case may be, I've heard a lot of the manufacturers say, okay, well, we, you know, the, the boys at Cigars International took us out skeet shooting or they took us out clay shooting, you know, we, we went out and we shot guns, it was, it was a great time. And you know, Cigars International has always been gun friendly, from what I understand. I've never openly carried there, but I've talked to, or I've I've heard of a, a couple of people from the PAFOA forums going there, open carrying. That I think they even had a an open carry meet and greet there at one point in time, and you know, there were no issues. So, so Cigars International has always been gun friendly, to my understanding. And a few years ago, if I had heard this story a few years ago, I wouldn't have really thought much of it. Okay, the manager pulls out a gun to defend himself. You know, Cigars International probably has a no-firearms policy. They'll probably give him a little slap on the wrist, and he'll keep his job. Well, uh, I don't know whether it was like two years ago or, or whatever the case may be, or last year, Cigars International sold the company to Sweetest Match. They're, they're a, just a, a huge international company and i'm sure that things are very different now as far as the firearms policy goes you know the management is probably still the same you know the feel of the store as far as the, the employment is concerned is probably very similar but now with a new company owner i'm cu- very curious of what's going to happen with the manager i don't know whether he's going to be fired for, for having a gun on company property uh, even though you know even if you know his manager or or his bosses are okay with it you know what what happens now that they're that they're owned by a much larger international company that probably doesn't feel the same way about guns as Cigars International did when it was privately owned. So it's it, it's it's really interesting from a cigar smoker's perspective who's aware of the company and 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 has heard very good things about them. So I, I'm I'm kind of curious to see where this all goes. Uh, all in all, the the guy you know he he did what he had to do to keep himself safe, and I'm, I'm glad it all worked out. It sounds like it was a a bit of a mess with the the whole thing going on in town with large crowds and and these people seemingly slipping away, but uh, no one got hurt, no one got injured, so all in all, it kind of worked out. But uh, good on him for having a gun on him and being able to protect himself. Alright, well, it is time for the featured content portion of the podcast, and because the the news got a little bit long, I want to try to, I don't know, get through this on a fairly quicker note a little quicker than usual because again the discussion topic may get a little bit lengthy and I don't want the, the overall length of the podcast getting too long so let's sort of try to breeze through this relatively quickly. First one comes from the Cato Institute. Last week I made mention that I I found a post on gun rights or on gun free zone from Miguel pointing out uh, this this video on stand your ground laws from the Cato Institute and I didn't get a chance to watch it the video was like something like seventy minutes long I wanted to watch it however I just never got around to it and from just kind of scanning it looked as though it was set up in sort of a debate format I believe there were four people there. Two people in favor of Stand Your Ground, two people uh, against Stand Your Ground, and there was a discussion back and you know the the pros and cons and from from each individual and and it was sort of a, it, it sounded almost as though this was a big debate on on Stand Your Ground and and how it all worked. Again, I didn't get a chance to watch it like I would have liked. Well, the following week, well, l- last week, I came across a post on the Gun Rights Radio Network where. Someone posted about uh, a Cato Institute podcast featuring Masada Yub, and the the podcast is entitled "Some Clarity on Self Defense." Uh, I don't recall the host's name, but it's the host and Masada Yub discussing self defense for roughly eighteen minutes. And as usual, Masada Yub does a, a fantastic job of presenting uh, the case of self-defense and just speaking highly of gun rights and firearms in general. And he's just a pleasure to listen to. I, I really like he, he's he's articulated. He's he's well spoken. I, I really like the way he presents the information. And he's the type of person that I could I could probably listen to all day and not really get sick of of hearing him you know talk for an extended period of time. So. He discusses a variety of things. He talks about uh, how the English common law, Castle Law, has evolved and how we're now seeing self-defense law and the common misconception of, you know, this this stand-your-ground law being a license to kill or a license to to be a vigilante and hunt people down. And he sort of dispels that that misinformation. Uh, He talks about... uh, Everything that's involved with self-defense, what what is required before it's a justifiable shooting, and he discusses uh, how things go down in that situation and just uh, a variety of other things. Again, I'm trying to speed this process along, and I don't want to talk too much about what I've heard because you know, again, the whole point of feature content is to wet your palate and make you go listen to it for yourself. So head over to the Cato Institute; the link will be in the show notes and. Check out what Masada Yub has to say about self defense on the Some Clarity on Self Defense episode of the Cato Institute Daily Podcast. Well, next up on featured content is episode 57 of the Gunfighter Cast. Uh, Last week, I was getting caught up on some of the podcasts that I was a little behind on, and I downloaded—I think it was the last three or four episodes of Gunfighter Cast—and I started listening to them in my car. And they were all really interesting. I—I—I I, I really enjoy listening to Gunfighter Cast. It's more of a—it's a heavier style podcast in the sense that it is—it focuses on training in very serious situations. Um, it, Something that I would consider a lighter podcast would be The Gun Dudes, where it's humorous, uh, it's, it's a more relaxed atmosphere. Gunfighter cast is more, it has a more serious tone, and I really enjoy some of the the, the topics that they discuss. And the, the last one that really got my attention was episode 57, The OODA Loop. Now, the first time I had ever heard of The OODA Loop, which is OODA, it's Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. And the, the first time I had ever heard this referenced was when I when I featured Kit Lear's uh article on being confronted by who she felt was a mugger, uh in a write up quite a while back. She referenced this this OODA loop. She said that when she was confronted by this individual, she she took control of the, the situation and asserted herself and sort of broke his oodle loop. And the first words out of his mouth were, I'm not a robber, which, which clued her into the, the, you know, the loop of potential thoughts that were going through his mind. You know, Here she is, I'm, you know, I'm going to get her, I'm going to take her stuff, you know, I'm going to rob her. And she sort of breaks the loop and all of a sudden he blurts out, I'm not a robber. And the situation kind of breaks down from there. Uh, she matted it out okay. She was a little shaken up, but, you know, the guy kind of ran off, and, and that was the end of it. But in the Gunfighter cast, the really interesting thing here is that uh, Daniel has a co-host now. I believe his name is John. And they have different perspectives on this, and I thought that was really cool. Daniel is uh, an active-duty Marine who has been trained uh, to to think of and teach others the OODA loop in a specific way. John, who I believe is a police officer, was trained a different way and views it in a different manner. They're both very similar, but Daniel talks about skipping portions of the process due to training, where John talks about sort of stepping through each step one by one by one by one. And it was really interesting to hear them talk back and forth about how it works, uh, how it was developed in the first place, uh, what it was developed for, how it's been adapted over time for different training scenarios, and how it's still being taught today and utilized today. So, all in all, really, really good episode. Definitely head over to Gunfighter Cast and check it out. Alright, the last piece of featured content comes from Walls of the City, and it is entitled Gunsmoke Lied, Twice. Now... This particular post from Walls of the City uh, involves last week's episode of American Guns on Discovery Network. Uh, if you're not familiar with the show, it's somewhere along the lines of Sons of Guns. Uh, it, it takes place, it's, it's reality based. In uh, in a gun shop in Colorado, and half of the show talks about half of the show is sort of buying and selling guns from from various high end collectors, and the other half of the show involves building custom guns. And in this in this episode last week, I started watching and I ended up turning it off. Maybe half to three quarters of the way through, I was just getting tired, and I, I turned the episode off. I didn't watch the rest of it. And a day or two later. Walls of the City is posting that, you know, Amer- this episode of American Guns lied twice. The first was this rifle that they were building. It's uh, They were calling it Avalanche Rifle. This guy that does avalanche control needed this big, bad-ass gun to induce avalanches. And he wanted this set up so that he could sight in with a fifty caliber round and create the avalanche induced the avalanche with this big twenty millimeter exploding round. And as the show progresses, uh, the the, ho- the the gun store owner Rich Wyatt goes down into the basement where the where the gunsmiths are and he puts down the fifty caliber round and he says, Okay, we're you know we're gonna build this rifle, but it also has to fire this round and he puts this big twenty millimeter round down. And he said, You know, this is this isn't an exploding twenty mil- twenty millimeter round. And on Walls of the City, they explained that it's not, a 20, it's not an exploding round that they're, that they're hyping up. It's a blue training round. Now, I remembered when he, when he put down this round and I saw the blue bullet, I thought, you know, that, that looks just like the blue chalk rounds that they were using on Top Shot. Only on Top Shot, they explained that it was blue, it was a training round, they weren't going to be firing actual explosives, but uh, this, this, cha- this training chalk round was going to mimic the same thing. So Walls of the City explains that this is not an exploding round. It's blue because it's, a, it's, it's similar to a training round. And he talks about that for a little while. And he, he talks about the explosion that it creates and how that was absolutely bogus. And then, then the second part of the lie was there was a woman that came in who wanted to trade in her AR-15 on an AR-10, but she wanted a twist. She wanted a grenade launcher on the AR-10. And the show makes it out to to seem as though it's really easy to go buy a grenade launcher, you can just have it slapped on your gun in and out, wham bam, you're done, you got a grenade launcher. And he goes through the whole process of, you know, the, the, you know there's a, there's an ATF process involved, you know, has to be licensed, or, you know, you need a tax stamp, and there's a lot of paperwork involved, and there's a, there's a delay, and, and when you tell the guy you want it, and when you actually get it, it's not this t- condensed time frame like they show on TV. And in all actuality, they put a flare launcher on, on her gun. It's not a grenade launcher. So that was the second lie. Now, I, I get done reading the... the, the this post, and I thought, you know, that's that's pretty interesting. I'm really glad that that he he, he called this this type of stuff out and, and made it very apparent because it's it's very easy to watch TV and especially something like this and get the impression that that's really how the world works. I mean, being in uh, being sort of in in the gun scene a little bit, you know, I know that there's a lot of paperwork involved, and I know that you know you just can't go slap a grenade launcher on your gun, but you know the general population may not know that anyone that's watching. Uh, American guns, out of sheer you know, for sheer entertainment purposes, and really aren't shooters may not know this, and you know I'm glad that there are people out there that that make this stuff clear and point this stuff out. Well, in the comments section, there were one or two comments about people that were familiar with American Guns in Colorado, and they suggested people do some Google research on the company. And I was bored after I read this. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, Google American Guns, Rich Wyatt, Gunsmoke, Colorado. Guns, the store being Gunsmoke. And I started popping up with a variety of different things. Uh, the first thing I came across was from like AR-15 Shooters Club in Colorado or something. And they're discussing the business practices of Gunsmoke and how things are outrageously expensive. And Rich, Riot, Rich Wyatt is rude and condescending and just kind of a jerk. And then I'm doing some more research and I'm finding a rip-off report where... Rich Wyatt, well, not necessarily Rich Wyatt. He said he claims he wasn't there, but Gunsmoke uh, sold this woman a gun before that they before they did the state background check, and then after she had purchased the gun, they performed the background check, find out that she's she's ineligible to own a firearm due to a restraining order some years before. So, they couldn't turn the gun over to her. And ultimately, they told her, okay, um, the only way that this is going to get resolved is if we sell the gun for you on commission, and they wanted 20%. She she wound up going on the Tony Martillo show, or Martillo show, or something like that, or Tom. I don't remember the, the radio host's name. Way back in 2009. And there were three days of updates on this, uh, they, they, on the radio show. And, um... I I really dug and dug and dug and tried to dig up those old podcast or the the old MP3 versions of that radio show so that I could hear what's going on because the people that were talking about this were saying that he was belligerent, he was screaming at the host, he was totally just being an absolute jerk. And I and I wanted to hear it for myself. This was long before the TV days when he needed to you know to to come across a certain way to appeal to the TV market. So I was really interested in hearing those those on air episodes. However, I just couldn't dig them up. Doing a little bit more research, I came up with uh, reports on Rich Wyatt's divorce proceedings, in which he was held in contempt of court for refusing to do refusing to honor the the judge's determinations, and he wound up being jailed for a certain period of time. And just all in all, I've always kind of felt he was kind of sleazy because of the way he lowballs people on on purchases and the way he acts on the show and then you know when i start finding these older posts about gun, about the company gunsmoke it really turned me off to rich wyatt and the company that they're that they are now promoting on discovery network so it it was just interesting seeing all these different pieces come together and painting a much larger picture of american guns and gunsmoke so Uh, Head over to Walls of the City, check out the post on um, Gunsmoke Lied Twice to find out more about that particular episode. And if you're interested in the the links that I found, I put them on my Facebook page, uh, Walt NPA. Uh, Just look through the the more recent stuff, and you should see a list of the, the interesting articles that I found on Gunsmoke in reference to this. So that is your featured content portion of the episode. You? All right, well, it is time for the cigar and drink pairing of the episode. Uh, the, the beverage, which I'm sure you're not surprised, is coffee. It's uh, Dunkin, Donuts, Dunkin' Donuts original blend uh, in the Keurig K-Cups. And uh, all in all, it's just really good, solid coffee. Uh, I still haven't gotten around to ordering that single-origin stuff. It's, it's on my to-do list whenever I get around to it. Uh, the cigar, on the other hand, is something that you're not going to be able to buy. I'm not quite sure why I'm I'm featuring it or, or why I'm, I'm talking about it, but uh, it's a cigar that I got sent uh, just last week. I'm a member of the Studio Tobacco Advisory Board. I say advisory board in air quotes because uh, I've gone on record as criticizing Oliva for their advisory board in the past. But basically, there's a, a group of people that they select and they send cigars to and... Theoretically they're supposed to ask for feedback, but uh, this is stuff that's already marketed and going out to the public, so there really is no feedback necessary. It's not a test blend, or it is a test blend, but it's it's going out to consumers. It is the the Studio Tobac ST-EFG01. Uh, it's a concept blend that is put into the Studio Tobac World Tour sampler. Basically if you go to one of these Studio Tobac events and you buy a box of any of their cigars. They give you the they give you a free sampler which includes that's like five cigars that are new and hip, and they're only they're they're given out as freebies at, for, for a box purchase and the this concept cigar is one of the cigars in that sampler which is out is out there floating around but it's tough to get them because you have to you have first you have to go to one of these Studio Tobacco World events two you have to. Invest in a box of cigars in order to get you know these other five sticks. So Oliva sent me this cigar. Uh, the, the explanation of it was that it was a Connecticut wrapped cigar with uh, lots of body and lots of power. And my impression of it so far is that it does have lots of body. It's got lots of power for a Connecticut cigar, but it doesn't have that that typical Connecticut flair to it. Uh, It doesn't have a little bit of bitterness. It doesn't have the very defined Connecticut shade taste about it that you find in in pretty much every Connecticut cigar that you pick up. You know, you really taste the wrapper. It has a very defined taste. In this case, I'm, I'm tasting very little wrapper and mostly fillers. You know, there's a lot of power. A little bit of dryness to the throat. It's got a a little bit of a Uh, floral or vegetal sort of taste to it. I mean, it's a a decent cigar, but it seems like the emphasis is too much on power and body and less on intricate flavors, so it seems kind of lopsided in that regard. if I were to choose between this cigar and the currently available Oliva Connecticut Reserve, I would lean towards the Connecticut Reserve. I think it's more balanced, has more flavor. Uh, the, the body and, and power of that is toned down a little bit. It makes again more of a balanced cigar, where this one has is more flavor or is more body and power, a lot less flavor. I wouldn't go out and buy a box of cigars and get the sampler just for this one. Uh, It it looks like there's some other really interesting stuff in that sampler box, but uh, this one I don't think is a home run or anything. So, if given the choice and the one I would recommend is to pick up uh, the Oliva Connecticut Reserve. It's available in the same Robusto format, Connecticut wrapper, lots of flavor. And if you're interested in buying from my preferred retailer, you can do so by picking up the phone and calling Buckhead Cigar. The number is 404-844-0400. Ask for Mike, tell him you heard about uh, you heard about his store on Walt's podcast. And you know, order up some stuff. If you'd like to see some of the new and and and, uh, and featured product that Mike has, you can head over to com. It's not a retail website, however, it does list the pricing on newer cigars that Mike has begun carrying or stuff that he's sort of featuring. Most of the stuff is listed as five packs and box purchases. All the prices you see include shipping, so uh, you know they're they're really good, really good pricing as far as I'm concerned. Uh, if you are if you just want to kind of talk to Mike and get a feel for him, you can do so on social media outlets such as Twitter, Facebook, and Google+. He is Buckhead Cigar on all three of those sources. So, again, if you're going to buy these cigars or if you're going to buy the Oliva Connecticut Reserve, why not buy them from my preferred retailer at Buckhead Cigar? Support a fellow cigar guy and a fellow gun guy as well. All right, now for that discussion topic that doesn't primarily involve guns but does involve a gun and is sort of the reason for this podcast being late. And that is on Sunday, Mother's Day, um, I was driving home from visiting my mother and I was in a car accident. Uh, in a nutshell, I had someone, We were. I was approaching uh, an intersection, I had traffic coming towards me and I was going to continue straight on this road and there were a couple of vehicles at the light. I had a green light. I was planning on continuing going straight. Uh, you know that was the plan. I had one car make a left with ample time. There was plenty of time in between him making a left and me continuing through the intersection. However, I tapped the brakes, slowed down a little bit when he made the left, and the there was a truck behind him who uh, apparently didn't see me and decided to sort of piggyback in through the intersection. And as the other car made completed, completed its turn and I continued going straight, this other guy pulled into my lane and we collided. Uh, we hit, you know, pretty much head on and it was, it was kind of a violent and, and scary situation. Um, probably the insurance company now. Well, sorry for the interruption, not the insurance company uh, It was the the auto body shop where my car was towed but i 've been getting a lot of calls from uh, my insurance company and the other guy 's insurance company but uh, the, the interesting thing about this the scenario was was sort of my mental state uh, as this all happened i 've read reports of people getting involved in in, in self defense situations where you know, they were in absolute panic, uh, shaking really hard, adrenaline pumping, uh, you know, just absolute fear. Sometimes they freeze. Uh, sometimes they don't know how to react. And then I've read other instances where people say that it, their mind was perfectly clear. Uh, you know, they were focused. Everything was just rock steady, solid. You know, no, sh- no shaking of the, the hands. Uh, they are very focused on what was going on. They were able to, to cope with the situation and handle it you know to the best of their abilities and in 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 those cases it works out really well however after the fact you know there's that adger- adrenaline dump they're shaking really hard uh you know it's it's sort of i guess it's their their body falling apart after that really intense situation and i had something similar happen as i'm coming down the road and i see this guy pull into my lane and at, at that point it's kind of like you know it, it's it's too late either I swerve right, and I go in the direction that he's traveling, and we collide anyway. Maybe I veer left, however, because this guy's making a left, there's traffic going around him, so if I swerve left, I may hit a car head-on, and we'd both be doing, you know, 40 miles an hour, and that would be even worse, or just kind of mash on the brakes and hit the guy, and, you know, hope for the best. And that's kind of what happened, I just mashed on the brakes, I bore down on the wheel you know it's 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 kind of weird when you see it in the movies and stuff people are sucked back to their seat they're pushing down on the steering wheel really hard and they're bracing for impact I found myself leaning forward a little bit and really bearing down on the steering wheel and, and you know as we collided there was a bit of disorientation as I was hit in the face with the airbag um I don't remember whether or not I was wearing sunglasses at the time uh the bridge of my nose is still really sore um uh, I didn't get hit in you know full on in the face of the airbag. It kind of hit the the top of my head, I guess. During impact, my head went forward. The, the seatbelt did a really good job of, of holding me in place. I have a nice bruise across my chest to show to prove that. But I, I guess my head went forward and smacked the airbag, and there was a there was a bit of disorientation, and I got a a lungful of the the powder or the smoke or the propellant, whatever's in the airbag, and and I felt kind of really heavy chested and congested. And I remember like everything pretty clear, you know, I wasn't panicking and in outright fear, you know, I knew it was coming. I was going to hit him and, you know, it was, it was just kind of like, okay, I've made my decision. I'm going to continue going straight and, you know, brace for impact. So I hit him, my head hits the airbag and you know i 'm a little disoriented. I remember seeing a guy get out of the the passenger or the the driver 's side of the truck and rushing over to my windshield. Uh, it was my little four door sedan versus a, a ninety one chevy fifteen hundred he won <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of which car survive, you know survived better this impact the truck won. but I remember him coming around to the the window and asking me if I was all right and I, I was just kind like yeah yeah i 'm okay i 'm okay." I think, you know, I'm all in one piece. And then I remember this happened in front of uh, a restaurant. My horn was stuck on blaring. Uh, I out of the corner of my eye, I saw a guy come running out of the restaurant, an older gentleman who came running to see if everyone was all right. I remember him f- watching him trip over the curb and falling kind of hard on the street and the guy that's asking me if I'm all right, I'm telling him go Check on the older guy that just came running out of the restaurant, he fell, he hit the street kind of hard, make sure he's okay, This guy's looking at me like I'm like I'm stupid or something. And then I remember just kind of like looking over and yelling out my open window, hey, are you all right? And the guy just kept running, or got up and kept moving. But at that point, I've got people coming to my car, I'm I'm a little disoriented, I'm pushing the airbag out of my face. There was a woman who's was, who was looking in my open driver's side window asking me if I'm alright, do I need anything, and I told her, I, you know, I think I'm alright, just just kind of give me a second, I push, deflate the airbag, push it out of my face, and I tell her, okay, I, I'm really hot, you know, I'm, I'm really, really hot, can you, can you open the door for me? She opened the door, I got my legs out and swung them to the side, I guess the, you know, the heat from the airbag and stuff had my legs like r- really hot, it felt like my pants were on fire, kind of a thing, so I swung my legs out. And uh, everything was okay in that regard. Actually, just before that happened, I remember feeling like my nose was bleeding. And my face felt like it had a bad sunburn. I'm still kind of pink uh, uh, across my forehead and the bridge of my nose. And I remember thinking, okay, i, I got to look and see how bad this is. I think my nose is bleeding, but I don't want to touch it. And I, I sort of lifted myself up in the seat a little bit and looked over to the rearview mirror, which was really twisted and broken. So I, So I couldn't... I couldn't see myself, and I thought, okay, maybe that's better that I don't look at my face because I don't like blood, and my wrist was bleeding. So we we turn around in the car, and one of the first things I said was, "Did someone call an ambulance or are the police on the way?" He said, "Yeah, we called nine one one. People are on the way." And you know, once I once I determined that okay, I'm not going to die. I'm okay. Then immediately, I start. I fall back into that self defense sort of mindset okay what what happened? Get a clear image in my mind of what happened because the police are going to ask for a report i'm going to give the police a report um, I don't know what the other driver is going to say I don't know whether there was any witnesses I don't remember whether there was a car behind me who saw it I don't know if anyone in the oncoming in when oncoming traffic saw saw it happen, and you know I'm sort of just Building up this defense in my mind, you know, like what am I going to do? I, you know, I've just been involved in a crash, and you know, like I'm sort of associating it with everything I've read for defending yourself in the event of a self-defense scenario where there's a gun involved. You know, from the very beginning, you have to start defending yourself. Even you know, I, I'm as far as I'm concerned, I'm the victim. You know, I, I didn't do anything wrong. The guy pulled out in front of me, and there was nothing I can do. But that doesn't change the fact that there's a, there's going to be a third party coming here in the form of a police policeman who is going to take an incident report and this could involve this could evolve into a court case it could be the other driver claiming it was all my fault i did something i don't know what the the witnesses are going to say you know in my mind i didn't do anything wrong but i still need to defend myself and and put myself in a position you know so that i, I don't get myself in trouble Okay, I've got an ambulance coming immediately. Well, one of the first people in the scene was uh, a, a, vo- a volunteer fireman. He was shining a light in my eyes, asking me, you know, basic questions: the date, the year. You know, are you dizzy? Are are your ears ringing? Things like that. And any pain in your neck or back? No. I, you know, I feel kind of clear-headed. You know, I'm just kind of, you know, just a little kind of disoriented and sore. So, you know, he's he's okay, he says, okay, you're going to be getting a lot of attention here. He says, you've got four fire companies responding to this call. He said, and the police are on their way, and I can actually hear the ambulance, you know, the sirens are on, they're coming. So, okay, that's good. You know, now it's, okay, now what? check my pocket. Is my gun there? My gun is still there. It's in my pocket. It's information that no one here needs to know about. Um, I'm not going to volunteer the information that I'm carrying a gun. It wasn't, you know, the the, the fact that I'm carrying a gun has no bearing on the situation. There's no reason for me to volunteer that information. There's no reason for anyone to ask me if I'm carrying a gun. Police officer comes. I give him my, my license, registration, all this other stuff. Um, he takes a statement which was very brief and he spent an awful lot of time with the other driver and I don't know whether I should be concerned with that or not because I haven't seen the police report and apparently you have to buy a copy and when I was at the police department yesterday they didn't have a copy ready but at any rate uh the ambulance comes EMTs check me over and they ask me whether or not I need to, to I need to go to the hospital or whether I would defer treatment and just go see my family doctor and again in this whole self-defense mindset it's like uh take me to the hospital and have a professional look at me right now because i've never been through this before i don't know what's happening and you know i don't know what's in my best interest so i think in my i think that going to the hospital is in my best interest so i get in the ambulance i leave before the scene is cleaned up i leave before the police officer has finished talking with the other driver i leave before i get a copy of the incident report or the, the the investigation ticket, and I leave before I get my license and registration all that stuff back. So I'm in the ambulance, we're going to the hospital, the, the EMT is looking me over, uh, he puts me on oxygen because I'm still kind of congested from the, the powder that was in the airbag, and he tells me, you know, the pain that you're feeling in your knee is probably from you smacking it on the dashboard, they're probably going to want to get an x-ray. And then, okay, what do I do now? They're probably gonna want me to take my pants off. If I take my pants off, my gun's coming off too, and I'm not gonna leave my gun unattended. So I grabbed my phone, which I'm amazed survived being flung off of the passenger seat, which was where I tossed it when I got in the car, smacking the dashboard and falling on the floor. It survived, and I started texting my brother. I said, (laughs) and the the first text message I sent was, hey, you busy? Uh, no, no, what do you need? Like, hey, can you come to the, the, the hospital ER and bring your your gun permit, please? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, what, what's going on? Can't really type in the ambulance. Sorry for the misspellings. <laughs> I get to the hospital. <clears throat> you know, I'm in the triage unit. They pull me off the oxygen to to see if the, the, the congestion will subside on room air, which eventually it did. I have uh, a nurse. She cleaned up my hand. That uh, that I had to cut on. Uh, I got a tetanus shot. The doctor evaluated me, and uh, and determined that uh, <clears throat> determined that a an X ray wasn't required for my knee. That you know it was just bruised and there was no serious injury there. So, uh, you know, th- this whole thing of there's a gun in my pocket came into play because what would happen if I were to get to the hospital and there was no one to take my gun? And I were I would were need an X-ray. I'm not comfortable with taking my pants off, leaving the gun. I was, I was carrying my Smith and Wesson bodyguard. I wasn't comfortable with leaving it in the pocket and just putting it on a chair. You know, I could just imagine some nurse deciding, okay, you know, he's being transferred to another room, or you know, we need to clear out this triage room. I'll just pick up his belongings, and lo and behold, she picks up my pants because the gun weighs as much as it does. It falls out of the pocket hits the floor and then oh my god there's a there's a loaded gun on the floor now what you know what happens to, to the the ER you know with a with a loaded gun sitting on the floor so i wasn't comfortable with that scenario unfolding and fortunately my brother wasn't busy and he was able to to come and take the gun if if i needed someone to do so fortunately the x-ray wasn't required my brother made the trip for for no reason i guess other than to see how i was doing but uh, had I not had my brother there, I don't know what I would have done. My wife is not licensed to carry. I've been on her for years to go over and get a license. Even if she's not carrying, even if she decides that she's that carrying is not for her and she doesn't want to carry a gun, it was situations like this that, that I wanted her to get a license for because here I am at the hospital. My wife met, met me there. Had my brother not been available, what would I have done with the gun? Um, I've heard horror stories of having the police take the gun from the victim you know for safekeeping you know when the victim is being transported to the hospital or or, uh, or a or hospital police officer taking the gun so that uh, tests could be performed and things like that only to ha- have just a a ton of problems develop you know the now the victim has to provide uh, receipts sales receipts information to prove that he owns the gun this that and the other thing and there's a long period of time between when the gun was turned over and when the when the victim actually gets the gun back and I didn't want to go through that whole thing so it was quite simple. The, the gun in my pocket has had no bearing on the accident, so there was no reason for me to tell the police or anyone there that I was carrying, and I feel, I feel as though that was the proper decision. When I got to the hospital, up until, you know, up until the point where they would have told me maybe I needed an x-ray, that w- what was in my pocket was none of their business and had no bearing on treatment. Had I needed an x-ray, it would have become a problem, and it would have had a bearing on getting treatment because I, I'm not just not going to turn over the gun to some doctor or a police officer at, that just happens to be at the hospital or, or hospital security or anything like that. So I guess I need to get on my wife double time now and 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 explain to her... That you know, this is precisely why I wanted you to get your carry permit. If, if I'm okay if, with the fact that you don't want to carry, if carrying a gun is not for you, I understand. I accept it. I don't, I don't agree with it, but I accept it. I respect your decision. However, I would still like you to get a license in case this ha- were to ever happen again, because I'm not comfortable with turning my gun over to just anyone. I would have m- much rather given it to my wife and told her stick it in your purse. However, had I done so, she would have been breaking the law and could have faced uh, some serious prosecution for you know for carrying a concealed weapon when she wasn't licensed to do so and because it was a because it was a pocket pistol there was no holster that she could have openly carried had i taken my xd she could have tucked her shirt behind it and i guess it wouldn't have worked because she was wearing a dress but at any rate if she were wearing you know jeans or something like that i was wearing a tuckable holster she could have tucked her shirt behind it and openly carried the gun license not required, I could have taken possession of the gun back after I was released from the hospital. But had it been more serious, you know, obviously it would have become more of a problem. Uh, I would assume she would have had to unload the gun, have it in a separate lock container from the ammunition in a non-accessible place in the car, and then she could have transported it from the hospital back home. But just a, a really scary situation where the gun did and did not come into play, you know, throughout the whole thing. It did, didn't come into play during the accident, but it did, it, it did become a potential issue at the hospital when, when I thought that there may be x-rays and images involved. So, I think I did the right thing. However, I would like your input. If you were in a similar situation where you were in a car accident and you had a gun on you, how would you have proceeded? Would you have told the police officer that you were carrying and had them take your gun? Would you have kept your mouth shut until you got to the hospital? and then inform someone that you had a gun if there were more tests required. Uh, is your wife licensed to carry in the event that all of this stuff transpired? Could you have given your gun to her and proceeded that way? Um, is there anyone in your family that, that is licensed to carry and could come to your aid to take the pistol from you in the event that something like this happened and you needed to to... Get it off of your person in order to, you know, have all these tests performed and things like that. So, again, car accident, that's why this podcast is late. Um, and there's, a, there's your daily or your, your, your question of the episode if you want to give it some sort of name. Well, that's going to conclude episode 39 of Shooting the Breeze, the formal gun podcast of waltnpa.com. If I've said something that's piqued your interest, you want to talk about it a little bit more, maybe I said something controversial, uh, maybe I got something flat out wrong, for whatever reason you want to reach out and give me your opinion or, you know, share your mind, uh, you can do so in a variety of ways. Uh, the easiest and probably most efficient way is to head over to waltnpa.com and click the contact link. Uh, located near the top of the page. Once you do that, a form will open up. Uh, you just key in your information, your message, click send, and wham bam, it's done. Uh, if you'd much rather use your, or if you would rather use your own personal mail client, you can send an email to Walt at WaltNPA.com. Uh, please feel free to send audio attachments if you got an MP3 file you, yourself discussing something that I've talked about, and you would like to hear that aired on the next episode of Shooting the Breeze. Please feel free to do so. Uh, If you just kind of want to chat it up on social media, I'm on Twitter as at WaltW. I'm on Facebook and Google Plus as Walt White, and my blog, WaltNPA, has a Facebook page. Let's just have to do a quick search for it in the Facebook search box. It should pop up, click like, and you'll start getting updates from whenever I post uh, shooting related stuff to the Facebook page. Um, In addition to my contact info, actually, I'm getting kind of jumbled here. Uh, I'm also on the Gun Rights Radio Network forum. Uh, I have a Shooting the Breeze section where I post a link to all of the new episodes with a really quick rundown of what's on the show. If you would like to to comment on that, please feel free to do so. Uh, speaking of the Gun Rights Radio Network, they are still in need of donations. Um, I'll include a donate link in the show notes if you've got a couple of extra bucks you want to throw their way. It'll help keep the lights on and uh, you know the network running smoothly. And again, that's going to conclude the episode, so thank you for watching, downloading, listening, subscribing to Shooting the Breeze, and until next time, take it easy. You can hear Gun Rights Radio Network on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Gun Rights Radio Network shows can be found under sources.